All right, if you can contain yourself, we'll go back to our seats and we shall carry on this morning. Wow, welcome this morning officially to New Life Church. We're so glad you guys are with us. Come on, let's give Jesus a big hand. Give him glory, give him praise, and thanksgiving. Because that is, as Max put it, that is why we're able to be here. That's why we're able to know what life is really all about. Man, what about that last song? I mean, all of them are great, but you really worked it up to get to the last song. Brandon told me we were going to start out a little mellow and, and build and build and build, and it did. It, it built. And uh, I'm woke now, so... Uh, <laughs> So thank you, uh, Sydney and the team, everyone. Man, thank you for putting your heart and soul into this. How about that breakfast? Those of you that were here for that earlier this morning, thank you all for supporting that and making that happen. You should give yourself a hand because you cooked, you baked, you bought, you made, you brought, and it was good. And um, since I'm preaching, I will not fall asleep, but if you close your eyes a little, I can't say that I blame you because it, the food was really, really, really good, but the word, I pray, will be good as well. So... Let's, uh, let me invite you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be in John 19, the Gospel of John chapter 19 and the Gospel of Luke chapter 23. And these verses will also be on the screen to follow along as well. Uh, we're going to be taking our, our text today from these two uh, Gospel accounts uh, with the translation, the Passion Translation, this morning. As we are continuing, uh, we're going to wrap up our Easter series today that we started two weeks ago. It's called, It is Finished, But It's Not Over. And what we've been doing, we've been looking at the last seven statements that Christ pronounced during his final six hours on earth that was actually spent hanging on the cross. And so we're trying to remember uh, as, we, as we talk through this and study this that he was not having a conversation with someone at ease. He was struggling to have his breath, struggling to, to speak, and he was finishing his assignment. He was finishing his mission, and he pronounced seven final statements as he hung on the cross, on that old rugged cross. And we've looked at the first five, and we're going to look at the final two today, and we're going to see that it is finished, but it's not over. Let's look at our text today in John 19, verse 28. It says, Jesus knew that his mission was accomplished. And to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting nearby, so they soaked a sponge with it and put it on the stalk of hyssop and raised it to his lips. And when he had sipped the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And look at Luke's account in the chapter 23, the continuation. It says, it was now only midday. In verse 44, it was now only midday, yet the whole world became dark. It was midday, but the whole world became dark. What do we do when our world gets dark? For three hours, the light of the sun faded away, and suddenly in the temple of the thick veil hanging in the holy place, it was ripped in two. And then Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father... I surrender my spirit into your hands. And he took his last breath and died. And when the Roman captain overseeing the crucifixion witnessed all that took place, he was awestruck and glorified God. He acknowledged 
what they had done. And he said, I have no doubt we just killed the righteous one. The crowds that had gathered to observe this spectacle went back to their homes, overcome with deep sorrow and devastated by what they had witnessed. But standing off at a distance were some who truly knew Jesus. you got to always remember, there's always going to be some who truly know Jesus. Always. It says, and the women who had followed him all the way from Galilee were keeping vigil. They were keeping watch. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray over this text today. Oh, gracious and kind God, we are so thankful. You are merciful and you are faithful. And we thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for allowing us to join in celebration. Lord, even though our knowledge and understanding is limited, we only see in part, we only know in part, but there's coming a day when we will know fully. We will know fully as we fully know you. And right now, as we open your word, we pray, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Jesus, just as you, you came out of that grave, now may you come out of this message and be real today in our life. Let it not just be some story, but let it be real in our life of history right now. Help me, O oh Lord, to speak. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This Easter, folks, it's Easter. Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the final six hours of Christ on Friday called Good Friday. Then three days later, the story carries on, and we know what the end of the story reads. We are fortunate enough now to know what happened because... It has been written. These folks at the time didn't know. Jesus tried to teach them, tried to, tried to speak to them, tried to help them understand. And then he, as he hung there on the cross, final six hours of his life, gasping for breath, pronounces seven statements. Seven final statements, the last two, it is finished. And my Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. What, what, what comes to mind comes to your mind when you hear those words, it, it's finished. It's, it's finished. You know, it can hold either a negative or, or a positive connotation depending on what's going on and what we mean by it. For some, it can mean that certain things in our life are definitely finished, meaning they're over, they're dead. Like a job, it's over. A relationship, over. In other cases, it can be the completion of something like, like a college degree, like high school graduation. Like, ah, finish that test. It is finished. I completed it. You know, these words, it is finished, were once used in everyday realm of society. It was a servant's word used when a task had been completed. It was a priest's word when a sacrificed animal was found to be spotless. It was a farmer's word used when a perfect specimen had been born into the flock. It was an artist's word used when the final touches had been applied to the masterpiece it was a merchant's word used when a deal had been struck and both parties were satisfied. And for Jesus, it is finished. Those words meant that he had completed his mission on earth and that God was satisfied with the work that he had done on the cross. The perfect payment for sin had been met. It had been paid. It was finished, as Jesus was saying. He, he didn't say it was finished because 
Death had told him it was finished. He didn't say it was finished because the Roman centurion said it was finished. He didn't say it was finished because they said, okay, time's up. It's time to come down from the cross now. He didn't say it was finished for any of those reasons. He said it was finished because he knew it was finished because he knew what had to be done. The payment for sin is death and someone had to die. The spotless lamb of God to cast away all of sin and take it all away from the world had to die. Jesus said it was finished because he said it was finished. He said it was finished. Here's the thing, hanging on the cross, saying those final words, it is finished. Jesus shows us that we don't have to and nor can we pay for our salvation. We can't and nor, nor, nor can we do it. We can't, we can't pay for it, nor should we have to. Reason being because Jesus already did it. Let's take a look at the words that Paul goes on to pronounce in the New Testament church in Ephesians chapter 2. He says these words right here. God saved you by his grace when you believed. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Not when you paid for it. Not when you did something for it. But when you believed. When you put your faith, your trust in Christ. And you can't take credit for it because it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us. He created us. We didn't make ourselves. We didn't suddenly become somebody because we got a little money in our pocket. We didn't suddenly become something because we accomplished something. No, he created us. God created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do the good things that he planned for us to do. We, didn't, we don't do the good things in order to get saved. No, he saves us so that we can do what he created us to do on this planet. So we can't earn our salvation. If we were the richest person in the world, able to buy all of, uh, all of the comforts and conveniences that this world has to offer, we still couldn't reward ourselves with salvation. If we were the poorest person on the planet, and the only thing we had to our name was the borrowed dust from the earth on our feet, we could not re be rejected from salvation. So we can't satisfy God with our good works. Wherever you're at in, 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 in faith, wherever you're at in life trying to look up and approach God and, and come to him, here's the thing, you need, to, you need to understand you can't pay to get saved and you can't do anything about it to get saved because we're not the ones who were called to die on that cross. Only the spotless, perfect lamb of God. Even on our most righteous day, we can't earn it. And even in our most unrighteous day, we can't be excused from it because of the love of God that he has for us in Jesus Christ. So salvation can't be earned and it can't be kept by our performance or by our purchases. So it takes us out of the picture and it puts Jesus on the spotlight, which is why he was on the center cross, front and center, for the whole world to see Jesus died. He did it. He paid for our salvation. The reason we can't pay for our salvation is because it's already been paid for. I think one of the greatest slaps in the face of Jesus is when we try to earn his love. Think about it this way. Suppose someone said, hey, I'm paying your house off, paying your car off, I'm paying your school loans off, 
I'm paying your credit cards off. I'm paying your loan sharks off. I'm paying your grandma off. I'm paying your uncle off who rips you off. I'm paying everybody off that you owe anything to. And then you go and try to take your check and write a check to whoever you owe anything to. And they tell you, you can't pay me because you don't owe me anything. Somebody already paid it for you. And here you are, here we are still trying to write the check, still trying to write the check to make good on what we think we owe. And yes, we did owe it, but Jesus loved us enough to see that we still couldn't pay for our salvation. And he went to the cross and he died on it. He was put in a borrowed tomb. And then on the third day, he he rose from the dead just to show us we can't make it and do it on our own. Whatever self-sufficiency any one of us might have, it is still never enough because Jesus did it. It is finished. So why try to write a check that you can't cash? It's made of rubber. It will bounce. It'll never go through. Why do you think your good religious code of ethics can save your soul? It can't. You can never be good enough to earn God's love. You can never do enough to keep God's love. It is finished. I think we slap Jesus in the face like those mockers and like those centurions and like those religious elites when we try to take salvation and put it into our own hands. Here's a mistake many of us make in this world. We try to clean ourselves up before we present ourselves to God. And God's like, there ain't enough soap in this world that'll make you clean enough. And here's the greatest thing. There ain't enough dirt in this world to keep you from me. You know why we dress up on Easter? You know why we wear flashy colors and sparkly white shoes? <laughs> I mean, for real, come here, Rod. You done stood up now. I got to show you off over here, front and center. You got to see these shoes, y'all. Come on up here. You got to see these shoes. Dang, if I could wear shoes like that, don't fall. There you go. Woo! My goodness. I better not touch you because you're sharp, brother. <laughs> You know why we dress up? Well, if you're Rod, you always dress up. You always look good. But you know why we dress up for Easter? You know why we wear the flashy clothes, the colorful clothes? It's because it's a reflection of what Jesus has done inside. We once were lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. <laughs> I was dirty. I was filthy on the inside. Here's the problem, though. Don't dress up on the outside if Jesus hasn't dressed you up on the inside. See, I, be, I believe that we can do this because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big praise to what God has done inside. But religion says you got to look right on the outside. you got to show right on the outside. you got to talk right on the outside if you want people to think you good on the inside. But here's the deal. God already knows what's on the inside. He says, quit trying to cover up what I am trying to clean up. We can't earn it. We can't keep it. It's Easter, y'all. We get to brag about Jesus in like big ways because we're all a filthy wreck. We're all a train wreck. 
We all got problems. We all got brokenness. We all have issues. We shouldn't try to hide it from God because God, for over 2,000 years, has been trying to love us, wrap his arms around us, and let us know that the bloody, brutal death of Christ is what takes away the sins of the world. None of us were man enough, woman enough, bold enough, brave enough, good enough, sharp enough, rich enough, powerful enough to stand on the heel called the skull and take nine-inch nails in the palm of our hands and a crown of thorns on our head and nine-inch nails in our feet and say, come on, give it to me. No, only Jesus did that. Only Jesus conquered that. And that's how he could utter with a final breath, it is. Do you ever feel like no matter what you do, nothing is ever enough? I think we probably all wrestle with that from time to time. May we take to heart, in the, in the final word of Christ, it is finished. May we take to heart and put into practice what he tells us in Psalm 46 and Hebrews 4. Stop striving and just know that I'm God. Stop trying so hard and know that I'm here. Enter into my rest. Enter into my rest that I give you in Christ Jesus. Rest in the finished work of Jesus because he's been there, he's done that, and he seals it with it is finished. But then he had a, another final statement. The, other, the final statement that he made, his last one before he gave up his breath was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and there were some people around there were some people around perhaps we could fall into some of these people groups the roman officer who was there overseeing the crucifixion just saw what had happened and he looks at the at at christ on the cross as he gave up his final breath and this man was prompted to worship him because he pointed out we made a mistake this man was the son of god it brought conviction to his heart. The crowd that came to watch him heard those final words, but they, they went home in deep sorrow and devastation as if their world was empty now. Those final words, it is finished. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Those final words really displayed that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Any other one would have begged to get down, like the thieves on the cross, would have begged to get down. They would have tried to manipulate. Jesus didn't point fingers. Jesus didn't blame. Jesus didn't manipulate. Jesus didn't try to escape. He willingly gave himself to God on behalf of the people. And in that act alone, that final act, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit that final act, it caused a shift in perspective for some of those. It created a conviction in the heart for many. And it caused his closest followers to actually get closer. To actually get closer. You see, when we go through tough times, God's intention is not to leave us out there. God's intention is for it to draw us closer to him. Here on the cross, Jesus showing us in his final moment on earth, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was showing us that we too can trust God with our life. He was letting the world know, letting us know as he was lying there, hanging there, 
committing himself willingly to God on behalf of people, he was saying, you can also trust God with your life. You know, that's what really separates the spectators from the participators. Those who are there to just watch and those who are there to actually follow. Those who are there to get in the game. Those who are there to really get on the trail. Those who willingly trust God with their life. And I think that's a question we all need to be able to answer is, do I really trust God with my life? Jesus trusting God with his entirety. Right there for the world to see. You know, even though Jesus had to endure such hardship, I mean, and, and we, we try to give it a description, but there's, it's hard to describe what he went through, the agony of his death, the agony of crucifixion. It was awful. But he, in, the, in the midst of that, he, he was showing us that we can trust God. And we will also go through difficult days. We on this earth will have some suffering seasons, and it stinks, and it makes no sense most of the time. But if we will learn to just really commit our life to God, trust God, we'll see that he takes care of us. He will. It may not be like we hoped, like we thought, like we wanted. But if we let him, he will do it. And the outcome will be better because we let God do it and we didn't do it. Consider the words that Jesus speaks here in Matthew 6. He says, look at the birds. Don't. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Look at chapter 10 here. It says, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your Father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are far more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. One of my favorite songs is His Eye is on the Sparrow. And I too, if I, I concur with Lindsay, if I could sing like th these, these folks here on stage, I wouldn't talk. Uh, if I could sing, I would sing this song. But this song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. You know, the, the background of that story, to that, to that particular song, it was written by Savila Martin. She was born in 1866 in Nova Scotia. Her husband was an evangelist. They evangelized all over the United States, and she accompanied him on all of his evangelistic crusades, uh, doing all the musical arrangements that were sung at all of those evangelistical, evangelistic meetings. And in 1904, Savila Martin um, was visiting a bedridden, ill friend. And although that friend was discouraged... She was very sick. Her friend remembered that God, her heavenly father, was watching over each little sparrow and would certainly watch over her. Savila left that visit, went home, and penned the words to what we now know as she I is on the sparrow. Listen, listen to these, these lyrics. He said, she wrote, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy, 
I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled, his tender word I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him, from care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he's watching me. Jesus, in his final breaths, final six hours, hanging on that old rugged cross, pronounces these statements. I'm thankful that he dealt with my sin. I'm thankful that he dealt with everything and anything that would ever try to come up in my life that would try to keep me separated from God. I'm so thankful he dealt with sin. I'm so thankful he did that. But I'm also very thankful that he showed me and he shows us that not only does he deal with sin and forgive it, but he deals with our life to show us that we can trust God with our life. You and I were never meant to carry life all alone. We will never created and allowed to be born to go through life by ourselves. For there is always one who watches over us. And Jesus, speaking to his crowd, was letting them know, hey, every hair on your head is numbered. God knows every hair on your head. And consider the sparrows. He, he feeds them and he takes care of them. And, but aren't you more valuable? than they yes we are can we trust God when our world gets dark can we trust God when our world is light how about can we just trust God with our life Jesus deals with sin most of his final statements are all about that they're about forgiveness they're about reconciliation. They're about redemption. But I find it interesting, this final one is about trusting God when you don't know what's on the other side. When you don't know what is around the corner. And many of us, I think, are live paralyzed by fear. Part of that song we sang, fear is a liar, fear is a tyrant. We live paralyzed by fear because we don't know really what's down the road. So we don't really ever go after God with a fullness. We try to steer it. We, 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 we try to control it. We try to ma manage it on our own. Here's the thing. We try to manage our emotions. We try to manage our thoughts. We try to manage everything about us. Here's the thing. We don't know us well enough to manage anything. We think we know us. But how about we go to the one who actually created us? 
why don't we look to the one? Why don't we just have a little talk with Jesus? Tell him all about our problems. How about that? Why don't we just acknowledge, hey, I'm jacked up. I got shortcomings. I have frailties. I have real fears. I have, I have trust issues. I, I have financial problems. I have marital problems. I have relational conflicts. I have my own personal ambition and drive that I want to do something, but what if God doesn't want me to? The last statement, trust God. See, the story, though, doesn't end there because there's a third day coming. And the Gospels all talk about this, the resurrection day. The Bible says that very early on Sunday morning, there were some very weepy and weary disciples who went to go to the tomb. And as they were walking, they were talking amongst themselves, wondering, hey, I wonder who can actually roll that stone away so that we can get inside and see Jesus. And they got there and they saw, they were shocked, they were surprised. The stone had actually already been rolled away. And they were wondering, what is going on? And they go to look inside the tomb, and they see no body. Jesus' body is not there. And if you're like a little boy named Rodriguez back in kindergarten, back in the late 90s that my wife taught in inner city Memphis, she was telling the resurrection story, and she got to this part about the, the empty tomb and opened it up, and there wasn't anybody there. And Rodriguez said, Somebody stole Jesus. You got to love some orange mound. And they looked inside and didn't see Jesus. Here's what they did see. They saw his grave clothes all wadded up and thrown to the side. Then something else caught their attention. They saw a folded, what looked like a napkin. It was actually the burial cloth for his face it was folded it had been folded and set down grave clothes stripped off wadded up tossed aside face cloth folded and set down John describes it and he and Peter were a little perplexed not really understanding what was going on I think what we have to do is look, look into the tradition of, of Jewish tradition between the, the, the relationship between the master and the servant. See, when it was dinner time, the servant had the responsibility to set the table, had to set it exactly how the master wanted it. And then he would wait off to the side, un, off to the side unseen, just waiting for the master. The master would eat. And here's what would happen. When the master was finished eating, he would take that napkin and then he would clean his beard, wipe his hands, and if he just took the napkin and watered it and threw it down, it told it, that, that meant the servant knew the master is finished and he's not coming back. But if the master, when he finished eating, cleaned his hands, wiped his face, folded the napkin, and set it down, that told the servant, I'm coming back. The grave clothes of Jesus off of him, watered up, thrown to the side, the burial cloth of his face folded neatly, laid down. He was leaving a message, folks. 
he was leaving a message. He was saying, hey, the grave clothes, I'm finished with death. I'm finished with death. I wipe my hands clean of death. I'm finished with death. I, I'm finished with hell. I've already been there. I'm done with that. I, I, I'm finished with this grave. He takes the grave clothes. The grave clothes are stripped, watered up, caught, tossed to the side. Why? Because he's not going to need them anymore. He's not going to need them anymore. He's sending a message. That part is finished. But the burial cloth of his face was folded up and laid to the side. And what he was saying was, I'm finished with death, hell, and the grave. But you, I'm coming back for you. Because you're an unfinished business. You're an unfinished work in progress. You're, you, you're, not, you're going to find yourself troubled on some days. You're going to find yourself going through some dark moments in your life. You're going to come to the realization that you can't save yourself. You're going to realize you can't fix what's broken on the inside of you. You're going to come to the realization you're going to need a napkin to clean yourself up. You're going to need a napkin. And that napkin is found in Christ. He was letting them know and letting us know that it is finished. I am done with the work. I am done with my assignment. I completed my mission. I did what I was called to do. There was no other person that could do what I did. No other person could be the sacrifice for the world's sins. No other one but me. I did it. I finished. And I'm done with that part. But you... I'm coming back for you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you unattended. I'm not going to leave you trying to figure out this world on your own. I'm not going to leave you trying to gather answers to questions that are hard to ask. I'm not going to leave you wrapped up and tied up in, your stu- in yourself and in your stuff. No, I'm coming back for you. Friends, that's why it's finished. But it's not over. And I forgot to tell you the title of today's message. So I'll give it to you at the end. It's found in Revelation 1.18. Jesus said this as he's given the revelation to John on the island. He says, look here, I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. Today's message was titled, I died, but look, I'm alive. Jesus died, but he wants us to take a look inside and see. Look inside our dark, dusty tombs of our life and realize that what looks empty, he can fill. What looks hollowed out, he can make hollow. What, 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 what looks like it is empty, he can come in and fill you with love. He can fill you with forgiveness. He can fill you with hope. He can fill you with promise that you aren't a wasted soul. You aren't a wasted life. There's somebody here today that you have believed your whole life that you are sorry. You are sorry in the sense of useless. You have believed that lie. Somebody has told you that and you have believed it for a long time. The good news of Jesus is you're not sorry. You are saved. You are rescued. I thought enough about you. I loved enough about you that I gave my life for you. Don't allow yourself to go through the suffering that sin brings because Jesus already suffered for it. Don't think you have to suffer in it because Jesus has already paid the price for it. You're not sorry. You're loved. You're loved. Jesus is saying the final words, hey, I did die, y'all. I did. 
I was dead. I was dead. But look, I'm back. I'm alive. I'm alive. And he goes on to say, he says, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. I hold the keys of death and the grave. You see, in his hands, you see the scars. But in his palms, you hear a jingle and a jangle. That's called the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And Jesus is shaking them, letting us know, hey, whatever has you bound up, whatever has you choked up, whatever has you confused, whatever has you bound, whatever has you chained, whatever has you scarred, whatever has you, I have the keys to free you. I can unlock the key. I can unlock the lock with these keys right here. You may feel trapped inside. You may feel dead inside. You may feel like I haven't felt anything in a long time. And God wants you to know in Christ Jesus, he has keys. He has keys. See, back in my, uh, my high school when we would go to basketball games and our team was winning, we would take out our keys and we would start shaking them like this. We would start saying, get the keys and start the bus. Say, get the keys and start the bus y'all hey get the keys and start the bus and pretty soon about 300 kids would get their mamas and daddy's keys out of their pocket and they would start shaking them like it ain't nobody's business and we were chanting it to the other team saying get your keys and start your bus jesus has his keys and he's saying i am here to free you I am here to set you free. I am here to love you like no one else has loved you before. So quit wallowing in self-pity. Quit wallowing in doubt. Quit wallowing in scare and fear tactics. Learn to understand that I have done it for you. It's finished. It's finished. It's finished. And you can trust God. Amen. It is finished, but it is not over. Man, are you thankful he's not done with you and he's not done with us?